Hello, my name is Mark Fisher. I am the person who writes about XTC from my days making the XTC fanzine Limelight to more recent times doing the books uh, What Do You Call That Noise? An XTC Discovery Book and XTC Bumper Book of Fun. Uh, and we're here to talk about, I'm going to introduce the people I'm with, but we're here to talk about Garden of Earthly Delights, an XTC celebration which is a compilation that is imminently out on Future Man Records. And to help me do that, I have two uh, profound and wise uh, gentlemen of pop, uh, David White Hello. And, and, and Mark Reed. And maybe, uh, well, I'll start with you, David. You, you could maybe say just a little bit about two things, actually, I'm interested. One, that you have, been, you have done your own covers yourself, and you could say something about those, but also then also you, your contribution to um, what do you call that noise is relevant in this case. Um, who are you? Sure, yeah, <laughs> I, well, I, I was an XTC fan since I heard Runaways in 1982, and uh, after that, uh, my friend Hugh and I, um, we uh, formed a, a band to play at the uh, Manchester XTC convention. We were called Balloon, <clears throat> and uh, we did Seagull Screaming Kisser Kisser, and... Uh, um, uh, pulsing, pulsing, uh, among others, uh, all great fun. And uh, I wrote about the experience in your book, Mark, um, the, uh, just a year ago. Um, and uh, I was uh, very interested to look into uh, what bands around the world are doing um, in uh, doing their covers on stage uh, of XTC songs. It's all part of uh, maintaining the legacy. Great. And um, uh, Mark, you're an XUC fan. You're currently wearing, for those who are not, don't have multicoloured uh, uh, podcast uh, visuals, uh, currently wearing a Dukes of Stratosphere uh, t- uh, t-shirt. You're, you're a long-term XTC fan. Yeah, I didn't know this t-shirt was available until I saw on a... Your Facebook page, um, someone saying they got one for Christmas, and so I went on, and there it was, nice bright Prince Purple, so I got one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, um, the first XTC um, record I heard was back in the early days when Small Wonder would advertise on the back of the NME, and literally all the punk new wave singles were listed there. There might be a dozen a week released of that, and so myself and two friends would kind of split them up between us, and we'd all sort of between us buy most of them. And one of my friends obviously got the XTC one, I didn't, uh, but that was my first introduction, and then it kind of from there onwards. So I I didn't actually get the first albums at the time, uh, much by regret, because it was sort of ubiquitous. They were kind of Mm -hmm. always there, and you'd always, in those days, it was limited runs, so you'd kind of go for the stuff that you didn't think was going to be there next week. Whereas like Go2 and that sort of thing was always sat in the racks because of major label stuff. So you'd go for the smaller label stuff, but uh, I caught up in time. Very good. And let's just talk in general before we, we, we talk in specific about um, Garden of Earthly Delights, because this is now, the Garden of Earthly Delights is a, a compilation of, if you get the digital download as well as the two double CD set, you actually get up to, I think it's 49 songs. So uh, this, this is um, an awful lot of XTC covers here. What do you think in general, forget about XTC, but what do you think in general about um, covers? But Mark, you were just saying that, uh, has there ever been a good covers album? Yeah, that's, as you know, friend Gordon Legg, uh, Day and asked him because I was racking my brain. I was thinking there must be a thing. Sure, Bowie did one, or there must be something. But I always remembered um, Kate Bush. Well, sorry, there was a Elton John covers album um, about twenty odd years ago, and Kate Bush did Rocketman. Mm-hmm. And at the time, someone said it, it's the perfect excuse for keeping the seven-inch single because every other track on the album was crap. <laughs> this was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And you didn't want the 12-inch version because it was just a three-minute song. So it was the, it was the textbook reason for having a 7-inch single as uh, you just want one track of the mm. album. 
And I think the covers, it's... And that's reminded me, isn't, is it the Future Heads that did a version of Running Up That Hill? Yes, yeah. Which is, I think, mm. it's really good. Yeah, yeah. But, but that's a good example, because for, for me, if you just do a no-perfect impersonation, mm. what's the point? You know, I much prefer someone who takes the genesis of a, of a song and either adapts it to their own unique style, if they've got a vocal style or whatever, or takes it in a different musical direction. But I've never seen the point of covers albums that just kind of try and impersonate the... I, I think there's a, a bit of a genre apart, which is like the tribute album as opposed to the covers album. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, a, a couple that come to mind are um, Sergeant Pepper knew my father back in the eighties, where the fall did uh, a day Don't in the life. Yeah. Um, and I'm your fan, the uh, Len Cohen one. Um, All right. Which I think this this is pre-digital. Uh, we're sort of seminal in the idea of getting together uh, dif disparate bands to uh, to uh, to do a a, a, a covered. Uh, a cover piece of work that uh, is in effect a tribute more than just song you know songs we like that sort of thing it's 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 it forms a a more sort of solid whole coherence. I'm just thinking like there's there is a question of the whole album but I I have a sort of love of covers in the sense that at their best they can make you hear a song even if if even if they're trying to to do a fairly accurate uh, copy of the originals yeah. um, I just I, it, I like the way that it makes me hear the original song in a slightly different way mm -hmm. you know just slightly yeah. different ears yeah. and then of course the, the the gold dust is that cover that suddenly re completely reinvents yeah. Uh, yeah, you know Sinead O'Connor doing nothing compares to yeah. oh wow that, that yeah. but, but if you do get somewhere the singers even trying to match the vocal inflections of the singer mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're thinking I could just play the original and um, I had a bit cheating. I played a couple of tracks earlier, and then one of them I went and I played the original, and I thought just to compare the two. And I accidentally didn't go back to the album afterwards, and I wasn't sure whether I was listening to the covers album or the original. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it's, it's that type of. Um, you know, well, actually, there was the Echo and the Bunnymen recently covered themselves. They released yeah. an album that was yeah. of, of Echo and the Bunnymen songs uh, redone. Re well, there's also Jeff Lynch just did that with Electro ELO. He did redid um, uh, the. the um, album Mr. Blue Sky was on and um, because he well for his reason was he didn't think it was produced very well when he did it the first time yes, but of course people actually he, prefer the, yeah, the original version yeah. uh, and the yeah. new version was too shiny and too polished and you know yeah. not mm -hmm. the same grit I agree 10538 overture on that doesn't yeah. quite make it oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, an interesting aspect of course is that uh, XTC themselves have covered Ella Guru as an yeah. absolute carbon copy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're not doing their own version of it at all it was uh, it was almost exactly yeah Whereas where the one that completely marmite <laughs> splits people is is their their cover of All Along the Watchtower, which I think <laughs> is fantastic, but many people uh, detest. Yeah, but uh, that's that's a textbook example because go back to the original that the uh, Hendrix version of the Dylan one. Yeah, exactly. Chalk yeah. and cheese. Yeah. You know, the, yeah, and that's a classic example of where I'm coming from, where someone's taken the original. I mean, at times it gets a bit daft because you think. Well, why have you called this cover version? Because if you didn't use the original lyrics, no one would know it was a cover version. Just mm -hmm. you, know, you don't have to pay the copyright to say it's your own song. <laughs> Sometimes it's so radically different that the only thing is perhaps the title of the song in there somewhere. But, I'd, uh, I'd be interested to know how this compares to Testimonial Dinner. Yeah, um, yeah. Which uh, is uh, the, the first XTC um, uh, tribute album, as it were, many years ago. I don't know quite what... The, the first mainstream one, because actually yeah. I, just, well, I just listed yeah. them up, because there was the, the fan-driven ones that um, came out of, on cassette oh, only. Of course, yes, Obscene yeah. Collection, Atmosphere to Ocean, Beasts I've Seen, yeah. Sky Lacking, and then Richard Pedretti Allen had... Um, uh, brought together yes. Don't Ring Us Modern Time Nero's and King for a Day which mm -hmm. like just his 
his three alone is 140 tracks. <laughs> there's a huge, <laughs> there's a huge amount out mm. there. And I, well, what, here's an XDC theory that I've got, which is that it seems to me that XDC's music, particularly in the studio years, was uh, is such that the the arrangements and the if you like the the basic structure of the song are inseparable, and so quite often that what happens when people cover an XDC song, they have to cover the they have to cover the inflections yeah. and the arrangements, and the, mm. because it's you can't really pick them apart, and and it's quite rare to hear to, to, to hear somebody completely reinventing an XDC mm-hmm. song. But it's also strange because um, uh, this may be controversial, but I was listening to Easter Theatre again recently. And that I thought, is very controversial. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, um, actually, the, the sort of hook that the main chorus bit of it is pure Colin in there because it's really, it actually goes back to his earlier popular, popular single stuff. And you think it was a bit, because when you can always tell the XTC which one's a partridge, which one's a Colin Moulding song. And um, again, controversial. And um, there's a bit where maybe partridge is thinking, well, take a bit of this over, whether it's conscious or not. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Is the effect covering a bit of old XTC himself? Uh, yeah, that's interesting. You know, yeah. I think that particular song is an amalgam of two se- very separate ideas yeah. that were yeah. knitted together at a later stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, in, in terms of the, the, we, it would be fantastic for us to talk about all forty-nine songs, <laughs> uh, but I think people have got a limited amount of uh, time in their life, and it's already so quarter past eight. It's already quarter past eight, <laughs> and so I, I, I'm going to suggest maybe half a dozen songs that we can uh, listen to and discuss. And the first one, kind of in keeping in mind uh, what we've been saying about uh, listening with fresh ears about uh, to, to, to interpretations. Um, the first one I'm going to go for is uh, Don't Lose Your Temper, which is uh, Derek Anderson, um, who's working with Michael Simmons, uh, Robbie Rist, Colin Kupka, and uh, produced by Steve Reffling and Derek Anderson. Uh, and this is their version that I think is an interesting take on Don't Lose Your Temper. Don't lose your temper Don't lose your temper Don't lose your temper Right, well, um, that was Don't Lose Your Temper by Derek Anderson, and we're all going to pretend that we haven't eaten the pizza in the meantime after after, that that song was going straight there, and that we're all on top form. And uh, should... Well, David, you said that you had an instant reaction to that, because that's that's the first time you've heard that song, isn't it? This version, version, yeah. Well, one was that the tempo seemed absolutely perfect, um, Mm -hmm. uh, a carbon copy of the original, and the... uh, the guitar, I thought, was very sort of authentic, um, the tone of the guitar. But um, there were things, uh, at, uh, uh, touches like the brass, uh, backing vocals, um, some nice organ there. Um, and the, uh, the, vo- the vocals were uh, softer and, and uh, uh, not so Andy Partridge-like. Uh, so it's an interesting example there of maybe not taking, taking the vocal inflections out of, of the mix. Um, I thought by and large successful, but uh, you, you could, still couldn't help but think the uh, an, a more original yelping vocal uh, <laughs> such as Andy's still still tops it. I'm not going to incidentally. I'm not going to compare each one with the original. I think that's maybe it, it's to, to observe differences. It's always going to lose out, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because it's to observe differences. I think. Um, but uh, no, I, I thought that was uh, very successful and. They haven't tried to do anything especially radical with it. I sometimes wonder, like, when because "Don't Lose Your Temper" was a B was it Towers of London? It was a it was a, it was yeah. a B side too. And so, whenever you come across a song on a B side, uh, I probably wrongly think, "Oh, well, that's somehow an outtake or somehow somehow inferior to the to the to the main thing." So, "Don't Lose Your Temper" in, in my head has always been 
a sort of little secret or something. I don't know. Mm. That's something yeah. you, would, you, you would stumble across. It's curious because the title almost reminds you of the Kate Bush track, um, Be Kind to My Mistakes, which was, I don't a, know that one. It was a track that was intended for um, Hounds of Love. Right. But simply because of the vinyl running time, it didn't make it. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of ties in what you were saying about some B-sides are just, oh God, we've got to fill a track, what we do, we'll <laughs> go and record this half piece I've got. Some are tracks that were fully intended to go on the album but just didn't make the grade yeah, or, just, yeah, or would yeah. have been on an album that had been long enough yeah. in the days before CD. Um, I mean, Be Kind to My Mistakes, a wonderful track. It's released on the CD reissue and she said herself that had it been a long enough album, it would have been on there. It's just they had to put it on somewhere. But mm-hmm. that's, I liked, it's, 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 it just sounded like people enjoying themselves. It was loose, it was yeah, spontaneous, yeah. it was, mm, yeah. you know, that there was no, uh, as I said before about it's a song that doesn't have the big grand arrangements, so you could just get into a room and enjoy yourself. You mm-hmm. know, it sounded like mm-hmm. a bunch of people saying, "Let's do a bash at playing this," and there was no side to it. Mm-hmm. It was like, "Are oh, you receiving me in a way?" It's that kind of spontaneous, just rush, yeah, yeah, yeah. thing, Play you know. Drive. And then yeah, it yeah. seems to me that, like, because I've got that uh, impression, I like "Don't Lose Your Temper," but it feels like a feels like a B side. Mm-hmm. Whereas this version of it, I think, sounds like an A side. It feels like a you know a Stax. Uh, you know, not quite Northern Soul, but you know that mm. that the, the brass, driven, yeah. driven and it's bouncy and it's lively, and you can kind of think mm. that could have been a hit single. Mm. I wondered at one point whether the bass had been somewhat simplified compared to the original, but uh, the bass part, yeah, mm. I don't. Um, um, I think I've got the sheet music somewhere. I'm sure. And Mark, I'm wondering whether we should jump through straight ahead because you made a suggestion that you would like us to t- t- uh, talk yeah, about um, your dictionary. more sophisticated than we realised because Derek Anderson who did um, Don't Lose Your Temper uh, was actually on uh, bass and sleigh bells on that track so it's all, <laughs> all falling in very, in, in very nicely um, Mark McCright your dictionary um, his version of the Andy Partridge song also with Jason Burke uh, Scott Mundy um, uh, on, uh, Scott Mundy on drums and Jason Burke on well it's a piano um, Mark why did you want us to discuss this song? well it's got a nice voice Mark McCright and I'm sure he's a lovely person but what's the point? It was note for note, vocal inflection by vocal inflection, same as the original. I mean, there was, there was nothing different about it. I mean, why not just play the original? It's an interesting question, because <laughs> the, the, I, th- I think one thing I like about it is that it does feel like a, a real band playing live together. I don't yeah. know how mm-hmm. they recorded it, but there was a sort of sense of um, uh, that they brought that to it. But They're I, in the same room. Yeah. One of the reasons I like the original, in fact, the whole of Apple Venus... Uh, mm. Volume One, certainly possibly Volume Two, uh, is that I, I find that that's, uh, Andy Partridge in particular seems to me uh, being at his most vocally truthful. If I can use that phrase, seems to me I can actually hear Andy uh, without the mannerisms and so on. That, that there's a there's, there's a the, 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 the clarity of his voice. So so uh, and and for such a personal story, uh, song, uh, you you think well why why would anybody else sing that that song? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and um, it was even you know the, the openings using acoustic guitar. Why not use electric or something just to make it jazz it up a bit? And um, even the way they introduced the dyma- dynamics with the original builds, they did their own version. So instead of using a bit of strings or whatever in the original, they brought in the um, keyboard, the organ. Yeah. And I just think again, it goes back to my point that you know to do a cover for something like that, then because it's such a personal song, you've really got to bend it out of shape. 
you know, to do something radically different and just to do a note-for-note -note version sounds like a bit of an impersonation. I mean, it was perfectly pleasant. You know, there was mm -hmm. absolutely nothing wrong with it. I wouldn't rush to switch it off. It's just I didn't see there were any great things that you learnt about the original from hearing the cover, which perhaps is one of the roles of it. I think um, it's, it's probably the most personal of Andy Partridge's songs. I, I can't think of the one that's more personal and uh, heartfelt. And, of course, it, it has that... Uh, spike in the middle there it it has a you know you, you're you're aware of a, a bitterness all the way through until that final resolution um but with somebody else singing it 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 means so much less mm -hmm. um it's like somebody else reading your diary <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah there's a there's a, re a remove there's a detachment there that does make you think yeah, I, I thought it was, it was beautifully executed. I, I liked the electric piano, the sound of the drums as well, really reminded me of uh, uh, Oranges and Lemons era um, snare drum. But um, overall, I, yeah, you, you can't help but with all these, uh, and it's, it's, it's filled with very clever, intricate puns that, that really mean something um, to the singer. Uh, more, probably more than the audience, possibly. Um, you can't help but think, you know, maybe, maybe it's um, it's an exercise and an, inter an interesting one, um, but uh, doesn't uh, uh, have the the kind of uh, uh, poignancy of, uh -huh. of, of the original. Uh -huh. And it is interesting. That it's a digital one. It's not the actual CDs themselves. So. Possibly for that reason. Yeah. That, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it was perfectly pleasant. It's just a kind of. For the reasons you explained, it just seems if you're going to do something like that, for I think you should really make an effort to bend out of shape, like I say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, well, let's go to one that's uh, I wouldn't say bent out of shape is quite <laughs> the right phrase, but um, it sounds uh, different to, to the one we're used to, and that's Life Begins the Hop, uh, performed by the Kickstand Band, uh, which is Alison Young on vocals and bass and Gordon Smith on uh, vocals and guitars. So that was Life Begins at the Hop by the Kickstand Band. If, I think if you told me that that was a hit for Banana Armour in the, in the early years, <laughs> yeah. I said, believe it's like a parallel universe where, where girl groups were singing these songs that, that were uh, aspirational hits for XDC, but not quite a hit. Um, there's, the, I, I love the, the sort of... Uh, uh, the bubblegum quality of yes, the, the, the lead vocal in particular, yeah, I think, yeah. definitely. Yeah, but having yeah. said that, I mean, I remember when it first came out, showing my age, we went around school going, woo, 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 to Is that really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in this version, the, at times I was thinking, are they actually singing that or am I just remembering it? You know, because mm -hmm, it was so mm -hmm. mixed back in the mix. It was there, though, wasn't and, it? And, yeah. That's, yeah. and that's kind of like the opposite of the last one. It's everything that I, I like in a cover. It's of, it's very much the song, but it's emphasised in different bits. So the, the guitar riff was much more to the front. The mm. woo-woos was a mixed way back. And um, it was sufficiently different. It was the same song, but it's like the 5.1 versions. You know, it allows you to hear different layers of it that you didn't hear before. Mm -hmm. So the next time you'd hear the XTC version of that, you might pay more attention to the guitar because it was so prominent in that version. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought the, the lead vocal emphasised the, the poppiness of the tune. It's a fantastic pop tune. Um, 
But I think there were a couple of things that maybe rather laboured it. Uh, one is the slowed down the tempo, which I thought was interesting to begin with, and then realised <clears throat> maybe halfway through that it was maybe beginning to lose a little bit of momentum yeah, yeah, in the middle, yeah. and you 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 wanted it to maybe speed up after all. Uh, and also the uh, the uh, heavily distorted echoed guitar, again an interesting touch, but I think that. Uh, Ultimately, I think that maybe dragged it a little. It, it, it worked against the the um, fizzy uh, female vocal pop sound. It maybe, but the, the plus side of that is that there was some fantastic transitions where you were going from lots of fuzzy guitar and then mm. suddenly goes really quiet again, and there was, it sort of introduces True, the dynamic. True, it introduces so space, and, it, and uh, XTC themselves were doing this uh, to a good extent in uh, 1981 or so when they were doing a lot of dub reggae in their uh, in their shows. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I'm, trying, I'm trying to remember one uh, one track on uh, their the, um, album from uh, uh, their live album from that year has um, an extended dub reggae. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember yeah. what it is. Would it be Battery Brides or something like that? Or was, um, I think yes, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I liked the distorted stuff at the end, but I think it was because it wasn't forced. It kind of came out of it. So it was yeah. an extension. It could have done been done really badly. It could have been like his bit, my bloody Valentine, stuck at the end. Mm. But it wasn't. It was quite, you know, it, it just came out and then faded back in. I mean, yeah. going so back it, was, it was judiciously introduced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. It wasn't yeah, yeah. Yeah, a slap in the face. Um, David, did you say that you covered Seagull's Screaming Chris Herkes? We did, yes. Well, yes. Let's, let's hear Casper, yeah. uh, sorry, Casca Fandango and his <laughs> tricky sick tears. I'm not going to say this tiny, <laughs> I'm like, I've got this completely wrong. Casper Fandango and yeah. his tiny sick tears. Um, <laughs> Sing, singing, singing, <laughs> singing, yeah, it's raining on the beach. She's inches close, but out of reach. Waves look painted on seagulls screaming. The sea is warship gray. It whispers food and slides away. Black coastline slumbers on seagulls screaming. And that's uh, seagull screaming, kisser kisser by Casper Fandango. <laughs> And um, something, something, something. It's purely coincidental that um, David himself has covered this, uh, but if you search for Boy 48 on SoundCloud, uh, you will find songs that don't sound entirely dissimilar to that. I mean, it's, it's, it's an odd coincidence, but I presume, David, that your, your version of Seagull Screaming didn't sound like that. Uh, no, it didn't. It was uh, done with uh, uh, Hugh and Kieran um, as Balloon um, at an XTC convention. And uh, we uh, did it pretty pretty straight. We didn't we didn't have the Chamberlain or Mellotron or whatever the lead instrument was uh, in that. But um, uh, we we did it as a at a regular six eight shuffle. And the very interesting thing about this is that it's uh, um, it's it's been turned into a waltz. And but it interlocks perfectly with the six eight shuffle. Um, it's just the emphasis is, is different and. So you expect the song to actually take twice as long, but it'll probably be around about the same length as the original. Um, uh, three minutes fifty-seven. I can see that. We're right. Yeah. Which yeah. doesn't sound. Yeah. Uh, it's not not over, not over long. The uh, what he's done, I think, is very interesting because uh, apart from musically, he understands the song. I think he also um, has looked at the lyrics and has taken the uh, seashore analogy and made it into this beautiful synth wash and 
with the um, the brushed drums as well, um, that really I think evokes this kind of seaside thing. Puts a whole level of romance on it, a sort of almost easy listening um, uh, romantic sheen to it. Um, but uh, that's uh, I think it's a he's seen another dimension to the song, which is. Uh, um, uh, very interesting and analysed it and brought out particular qualities that uh, yeah, yeah. really really are very affecting and, and, and Mark I'm just kind of thinking what, you would, what you've already been saying that you know the original song is the arrangement is strident it's, it's sort of like yeah. dun, 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 kind of <laughs> the opposite of the sort of easy yeah. listening jazzy sort of feel that he's got so a bold move did you, is, was it a successful move for you I enjoyed it I mean I'm a sucker for any song that's got a sonar ping in it for a start so yeah. always, <laughs> yeah. always is a winner for me but also I'm halfway through a second glass of a rather nice red wine and that was doing <laughs> very well it was just a perfect <laughs> pace <for> that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so thanks to uh, his little tears for that yeah, yeah. And, and actually you know we, we were talking about um uh, your dictionary, which is a personal song. This is also a personal song. Yes. So, but 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 he manages to find it, uh, make it his own. I think. I, I would say so. And on that, and on <laughs> that two thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. No, I, th- I think it's really really lovely. And again, that's one of the ones. This is the thing about this album. Uh, there's a lot of songs that are on the digital only, in addition to the two CDs. But um, there's lots of good, good finds on the digital I, only. I possibly uh, spent too well. much time trying to do anagrams of the artist's name. Well, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, 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 so actually, we'll, we can stick with a with with a theme here because if we go to Runaways, that was another that was that no, was another song. Uh, uh, yes, we, yes, we did. Um, and uh, I'd always been impressed by this when. Um, uh, our friend Hugh uh, put this on the stereo and said, Do you, uh, guess who this is? Because I, I, I knew XTC from the, the hits, the, the Nigel and Generals and Majors and so on. Um, but um, this was the first track I'd ever heard from uh, English Settlement. And uh, he said, uh, he played it to me and I thought, it has a slightly Pink Floyd sensibility to it, but it's, it's clearly not them. Uh, and I really just couldn't put my finger on who it was, and I was quite staggered when I was uh, told that it was XTC. Um, and I thought, well, th- th- these these guys are really this is this is an interesting album. They're really developing. So um, let's hear what it sounds like when I think like midnight get their hands on Runaways. That was Runaways, an instrumental version by I Think Like Midnight, who are Andrew Chalfan on guitars and keys, Joe Gennaro on keys, Josh Newman on bass, Dean Sabatino on drums, and Chris Altrius on horns. Um, well, I, I can start with you, David, with exactly the same question. Does it sound like your version of Runaways? Uh, no, I have had vocals in it. Um, uh, it's the first, this is the first instrumental version I've ever heard of this, uh, and it's interesting what you... Uh, you <laughs> You're obviously not aware of the sort of rather affecting story in the uh, in the in the original lyrics. Um, I think it's not bereft because of it, particularly um, because what I think they've done is that uh, again, rather similar to the last version we heard, um, they've uh, they've dug into the interesting um, musical resonances. There's there's uh, various sort of dis- dissonances 
and chord intervals that uh, come out of Colin's song. And in fact, you could argue that maybe these bring these out better than, than the original. Um, <clears throat> with uh, Even though Runaways is, is basically a, it's a fairly, fairly straightforward song in many ways, um, there are some interesting um, musical ticks going from major to minor. There's some um, ninths in it that are interesting. The fifths go in interesting uh, directions, and I think they they brought those out. Certainly, um, I felt maybe we were lacking a bit of heaviness in the drums that we are used to, of course, from the uh, from the original. Uh, uh, maybe not a bad thing. It, it, it meant that it was a much more um, a, a airborne song than than uh, the the original, which is weighed down by uh, Terry's quite uh, heavy tom-tom uh, drumming. I kind of think there's a sort of tension between is it is this easy listening that's just going to become an elevator music and go into the background, and then mm. there's something about the horns in particular that have a, a, a kind of jazzy feel that makes me think, oh, no, there's actually something quite interesting going on here. Mm, it, it, yeah. it pulls in both directions. Which direction did it pull for you, Mark? Um, again, it went down very well with Grassy Midwife. Um, <laughs> but no, it's curious because I, I don't think I've ever, ever heard the XTC version out with its place on the album. Because mm-hmm. And it's like you were talking about Pink Floyd earlier. And so in some ways, I mean, not to dimension the song at all, I almost kind of saw it as a bridge between the two songs around it. Because it's, a, as you say, it's a fairly simple song, it is, is, and the way it fits in and, and it describes there. So that was almost an extension of that. It wasn't such a radical departure for me because it was, it fitted in with the kind of transient, mm-hmm. easing across your nice and laid back, easy thing. It wasn't to grab you by the throat and force you to listen to every word. Well, it was an instrumental, so you couldn't. But, you <laughs> know. Yeah. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, should we do a bit of We're All Light, um, Anton Barbo, who is a contri- contributor to uh, What Did You Call That Noise? Uh, and here's, uh, I think, a sort of reasonably straight and, and, and loyal um, but uh, convincing version of We're All Light. Don't you know about your fingertips away? There's a universe of atoms that thinks you're real something. Don't you know? Just a couple of lips away Is an evolutionary fiend feast Whose insides are jumping Don't you know We're all right Yeah, red that someplace Don't you know We're all right Yeah, That's um, Anton Barbo on vocals, bass, synths and kettle uh, With Don Hawkins, who's on guitars, drum box, uh, harmony, vocal um, Anton, uh, his contribution to what you call that noise, is, he talks about um, Senses Working Overtime, which he describes as a life-changing song, and, and effectively the song that turned him into a songwriter. Is, this is the thing that, yeah. that I want to do. So obviously he's a huge uh, fan, um, and, and, uh, and as I was saying, I think a very faithful um, and, and loyal tribute, but I think he brings quite a lot of his own self to it as well, would you say? I'd say so, yeah. Um, I think... It was an interesting thing, the guitar, which is a kind of, uh, it was maybe uh, detuned or uh, maybe slowed down or something, had had a sort of gravity uh, to it, but a sort of metallic gravity, was rather similar to what you might hear on Black Sea, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, uh, but not on um, Apple Venus 2. However, uh, sorry, what's it, Uh, yes, Apple Venus 2, it comes from... um, but uh, yes, I liked it very much. I liked his uh, lead vocals. They got personality, and uh, there's a sort of drawling quality to it, which yes. sort of gives a slightly hippie-ish. Sort of yes, feel, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and uh, these uh, lovely sort of wailing backing vocals as well. 
um, all contributed nicely. That uh, sort of wobbly synth at the end uh, sort of just tails it off very nicely. Um, yeah, and I, th I think it suits also the lyric content of this uh, sort of rather um, uh, cod philosophy of, of, of we're all light and uh, received uh, sort of new age puff sort of idea. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, th I think he's interpreted it very well. The the original is is kind of interesting because it is slightly out of the out of the regular XTC style, isn't it? Do you think? Uh, yeah. I, I've always thought that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, maybe that maybe the tempo uh, uh, or or this uh, the, the the use of an occasional sort of that organ stab bap bap bap. Um, it it was, it's slightly sort of um, uh, at odds with um, uh, the XTC that. Uh, we knew. I think it's a standout track on the on the album for that for that uh, reason. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. This one, yes, I think I think he's he's taken it in a nice direction, definitely. It's interesting because at the beginning of it, I was thinking there was a bit Gary Newman going on here, and then you turned to me and said Bowie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was that thing, and you know, I'm all for a bit of crooning, and I thought it worked really well on there. You know, it was it was quite a dense track compared to the other ones we've had. I personally would have cut the last thirty seconds off. That's just been heretical, mm -hmm. but you know. Um, up to that point, I was enjoying it. I think it just dragged on slightly too long, but yeah, slightly denser, but uh, enjoyed the personality coming out of the vocals, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. you were Actually, though, I thought, think he does a really great job at the the, 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 the last vocal line yeah, that, that yeah. exists only at the end of the song. Yeah, there's a couple of bits where he's um, not shoehorning the right word, but he kind of crams in the, the lines mm -hmm. of the because mm -hmm. they're quite dense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then to finish off with a bit of a cooling swagger at the end, I think, you know, Good on him. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He yeah, yeah. Yeah, takes some some real ownership there. Mm -hmm, yeah. yeah, without again, as I say, without it being because because we were talking before about um, radical interpretations. Mm. It's not you, it doesn't frighten no. the horses. If you're familiar with that song, you're not going to yeah. be surprised no, by this interpretation. No. But it feels like he's made it enough. Certainly, he, he feels personality in it. You know, he's, he's not hugely just slavishly copying, which mm -hmm. is my thing. You know, he has taken it, hasn't made a huge difference to it, but he's done enough to make it his own. You know, yeah, his version. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Should we go back in time to go to and go to Battery Brides, uh, which um, has been done by Cinderpop. I don't know who Cinderpop is, but this is Cinderpop. Battery Brides, oh, have you ever tried to break out of your waiting room and find yourself a waiting groom? Cinder Pop and Battery Brides channeling Barry Andrews, channeling the, the sort of relentlessness of, of classic um, Terry Chambers drumming uh, to get that sort of, uh, you know, droney kind of compulsive uh, effect. Um, and I think a little bit making it uh, his or her own. Yes, definitely. Uh, the um, I, I liked the what was going on also in the in the sort of lush... Uh, like you say, over, over this uh, kind of raga-like uh, background, there was lots of lovely, um, very light touches uh, that made it very positive and uh, major key and uh, all, all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. I liked also the uh, the frippy guitar, uh, right. sort of a nice uh, introduction. The vocals, the lead vocals was an interesting one though, wasn't it? Because they were, um, I assumed, rather deliberately understated, um, a little bit sort of detached, like I don't know. I'm just trying to think. Uh, somebody who um, 
uh, you know, delivers that kind of, well, I don't really care oh, this quite such much. Yes, maybe, uh, and I was thinking maybe back to the jury, for instance. Uh, right. Um, uh, just not, I'll, I'll come just about halfway. I'm not going to come any, mm. any further. And I think that actually is a very much part of the sort of new wave sensibility of uh, 79, 80, when the song uh, was uh, uh, first uh, cast. Which is 78. So. 78, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and a, a lovely, yeah, nice reminder of, of uh, what a great what a great tune it is. Um, and and it, it has these lovely um, angles that, uh, that you can just uh, revel in, but at the same time it goes back to its nice comfort zone. Uh, <laughs> Although, I'm end. just going to think there's a fine line between um, discordancy and is that just out of tune? Is <laughs> some, yeah, there's, yeah there's, it's true. There's an interesting yeah. bit and a couple of bits which sound deliberate because they haven't mm. been fixed, but but mm. it, it, it unsettles you when when mm. not everything's jarring together. A bit, or can you jar together? Mm. Not everything's fitting together yeah. and maybe jarring. Mm. Um, but the fact that they do this uh, two or three times and they yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. usually means they got it right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Any, anything to add there, Tom, Mark? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I must have been cheated. Um, I thought I recognised the name of the band, so I googled them to see what was the band yeah. I was thinking of. It wasn't at all. Right. And, it, and it turns out I think there's about five of them. And all right. Up to up to that point, I was like yourself. I was thinking it was remind me of someone like Thomas Lear or Eric Random you know, around the time. You know, the yeah. sort of yeah. guys that would turn up with a homemade synth that they made out of an electronic magazine plans, <laughs> kind of like Barry Andrews maybe. You know, and was play on top of a tea chest and do a set with a old drum machine mm. so I thought it was just a one guy and also that ties in with the vocals because you know Thomas Lear and were too busy trying to get the machines to work to actually mm. sing but um, until of course the bits you were talking about the flourishes came in mm. and then it became a bit slicker mm. so much and I kind of um, I, I didn't dislike it for that reason but I was quite liking the throwback to the early mute electro days that it was mm. kind of bringing up uh, from that respect which you know being a by Andrews influence track would be yeah 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 um, we've been we've been lurking. Is that the right word? Uh, quite a lot on the digital only section of the thing. So let's let's finish off uh, back mainstream uh, with my bird performs performed by Myrtle Park's F Fishing Club, uh, which I take to be Kate Stevenson in most respects, uh, who does all other instruments, vocals, arrangement, and production, uh, in addition to John Steele, who plays guitars. <laughs> the track on that one um, for Kate Stevenson of Myrtle Park's Fishing uh, Club. Um, that was rather gorgeous, wasn't it? It was lovely. Yeah, it had that um, richness and colour to it that uh, the original was. Yeah. Um, I think the uh, the bass was interestingly restrained. You were just only sort of periodically aware of it. Uh, just uh, came in and out. Um, this, the song has a lot of space to it anyway, um, and she's she's kept that. Um, yeah, yeah, enjoy, enjoyed that very much. I was, I was still waiting for a, a, a trumpet solo, Guy Barker <laughs> on his trumpet, but. Uh, uh, but yeah. I was thinking as well, what I said earlier about the idea of XTC's arrangements being 
part and parcel of the song itself. The ding ding guitar mm. is still there, even though mm. she's very much made us the, the, the song her own, uh, but still respecting that that actually is the foundation, of the, is the base, that is the uh, spine of the of the song. Yeah, and interestingly, the guitar is the same sort of tone as, mm-hmm. uh, as David used. Yeah. I mean, it was it was it was lovely. It was very nice. It wasn't radically different. It was a shinier version of the original. And it's funny you should mention space because I was going to say exactly the same thing, but from a different angle. Which was, I think, the the album, the original album, was the first one that they really treated space as a, another member of the band. You know, there was a lot more mm. uses of space in there to flesh out the songs. It was and. I didn't think, I think that kind of tried to fill those gaps a bit too much. You know, there, was, there wasn't that same sense of space in it, just to completely disagree with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, but I think space is a key thing in this. It's, it's quite, it's a strange song because it's similar, the original is simultaneously sparse, but quite you know, rich. So it's a tricky thing to pull off and they didn't quite manage it, I don't think, but they made a very perfectly pleasant song mm-hmm. as a result. Mm-hmm. And what do you think? Because what, I guess it's not coincidental that I've chosen this song and Life Begins at the Heart where you've got... A, uh, a female singer and, and obviously with XTC we're used to male voices necessarily and uh, the, the, you, you bring in a, in a female voice and, and it uh, emphasises the melody a lot of the time uh, and, 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 and brings a sort of just another quality that's very inevitably very different to, to, to the ones that I, we're used to. I think it's, it pays testament to the original songs that not just male or female but also to go back to Mr Barber earlier you could have a crooner you know, mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. and the songs support these different styles, and, and that's partially why I've got to be in my bonnet about them being too literal to the source yeah, material. Yeah. Because as we've seen tonight, you know, the songs do support very different styles of singing or instrumentation. And it just seems a shame not to do that more. So for the people that've done it, brilliant. You know? Yeah, yeah. The two female voices we've had have tended to be uh, they're, they're on the sweet side. Um, if you got maybe Patti Smith to do it, it might be different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think my criteria is always. What would Dusty Springfield have made of it? <laughs> As in all life, in all questions. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mark, did you get a chance to listen to the whole album today? Most of it, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Did, 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 did you have an overall impression of it? I was doing other stuff, so I, I kind of... Um, there was some bits where I think at one point I went back to compare with the original track and I got confused at some point whether I was listening to the album, <laughs> covers album with the original, mm-hmm. but that was just a, a couple of tracks where they were a bit too literal and I couldn't look it out. Listening to it as we're doing tonight, where we're actually sort of talking about it and paying more attention, I'm definitely getting a much richer feel for it. You know, yeah, appreciating yeah. the songs more. Yeah, it's a fantastic mix of songs as well. If you look at, you know, it's from all periods of XTC, and it's a, yeah, all of them are among their best. Yes, it's not an obvious. It's nicely not obvious. I mean, make there's actually a very good uh, version of Making Plans for Nigel, yeah. which I thought about doing. I thought, oh, surely you can't do Making Plans for Nigel. <laughs> um, actually, if you look on my uh, YouTube channel, there are millions and millions of uh, YouTube uh, covers, including uh, I've got in fact a whole playlist which is just covers of, of Making Plans for Nigel. I've heard uh, uh, you know more than anybody needs to in, in their life, but this is there's, there's a very good one there. But um, it doesn't. It, it's uh, you know the greatest hits are in there. Uh, you know, I can see on the on the list in front of us at the moment, dear Ma- Madam Barnum. Uh, uh, actually, there isn't. I don't know if there isn't a sense is working overtime. I don't think, if, if I, unless I'm unless I'm forgetting it. Uh, but uh, but you know, lots of interesting curiosities, uh, B sides, demos, in fact, as well. Um, say it by by my Colin Moulding, for example. Uh, so lots of interesting choices, and I think I, I, yeah, I know what you mean, Mark, about um, about some songs being. Um, 
loyal without without bringing necessarily anything to it, but it feels like just playing it through, which I've only done I had the chance to do so far a, a couple of times. Uh, it, it, it 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 glides through from song to song yeah. without 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 jarring, which that sounds like damning the thing praise. It's a major achievement. I mean, there's, there's forty nine tracks on there, and you know, Mr. Partridge's vocals are at times idiosyncratic, uh-huh. so it can be a real challenge to even replicate them, let alone do something with them yourself. So, you know, hats off to everybody that had a go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they all seem, certainly the ones we've listened to tonight, they've, they've all extracted, I think, uh, an essence there and, and you know, uh, uh, built on it, um, yeah. ex- extended it. They, they've, they've seen what's, they've seen the quality of the song there and, and um, it, uh, mind it, mind it. I would say. Yeah, and it's. I think you know. It is. You can tell that it's a. It is a tribute. It is called an XDC, XDC celebration, and there's a, a real sense of hmm. of love and care. Yes, and people really doing yeah. something that they want yeah. to do. They're not just. It's not just there for contractual obligations. <laughs> so I'm. I've uh, really enjoyed this conversation. I hope um, you people listening at home have enjoyed it. Uh, there's a little bit more uh, still to come, but in the meantime. Uh, thank you very much, Mark Reed and uh, David White, for joining me. Mark Fisher uh, for a celebration of an XCC celebration, Garden Birthday Delights, which is available on Future Man Records via their Bandcamp website. The XTC Podcast. Wouldn't it be good to know what Colin Moulding thinks of all this? Do you think he's in? I think he might be. That man is right on time. Good morning, Colin. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good, very good. Thank you very much for doing this. It's very good of you. Yeah, all right. Before we start, talk specifically about my bird performs, assuming you're happy to talk about that one, and I wondered if I could ask you, am I right in thinking that um, XTC, in your very early days, like pre-signing, did quite a lot of covers in your set, in your live set. Oh, we're going back a bit. A long way back, yeah. Yes, that's going to take some remembering. We used to do working men's clubs, and so we'd chuck a few in as a few crowd pleasers, you know, when it was particularly hostile. <laughs> you know, and uh, they'd want you to um, take part in the meat raffle and stuff like this, so it was... Um, I think we did Tired of Waiting by The King. I remember doing that one. And because, like, in, in, by, by the time you signed up, you, you still had Fireball X L5 in the set and, and All Along the Watchtower. Yes, we did those two, yes, definitely, yeah. So, so they were sort of like over, overhangs from, from an earlier Working Men's Club thing. With Fireball XL5, it was prompted because um, of uh, Barry's Vox Krumar organ. He could do all those kind of whizzy... Uh, organ lines you know from like funfair lines you know so um we kept that in because that was a bit of a crowd pleaser yeah i think i remember doing stay with me the old uh, rod stewart thing or have i got that wrong <laughs> maybe i've got it wrong but um but was it, it, is, it is a way that a lot of people learn to play their instrument is by copying stuff and um i've really only ever known xdc as, as an originals band apart from i suppose you did ella guru later on as well but you know generally an originals band so i don't associate you with doing covers but did is that how you, did, did you learn that way by by copying stuff well you play along to records in order to better yourself at your instrument you know yeah, those yeah. Days, it, the riff was king, you know. I remember playing along to Deep Purple in Rock because it had lots of riffs on it. Uh, the Groundhogs, Thank Christ for the Bomb. Uh, these were kind of riff bands. And, um, it gave you some feeling of accomplishment to actually 
do the ref, you know, and get it right. I think that was the earliest feeling I had of, that I've achieved something, and then you go on from there, you know. But it's a, it's a good starting point. Mm-hmm. It's, it's when your mum catches you kind of freaking out and bursts in on you, you know, when you're, <laughs> when you're playing <laughs> along to the record. That's, uh, yes. I, I only know one other uh, feeling of embarrassment in regard to that. <laughs> well, maybe we shouldn't go there. <laughs> it's not, not at 10 o'clock in the morning anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so how does it make you feel when, like, it, this is not the first time there's, there's been a fan tribute to, to XTC, but how does it make you feel when, when to know that, in this case, there's 49 tracks, on, on, including the digital downloads on, on the podcast? How, how, how does it feel to, to, for you, just the, the very idea that somebody might be uh, doing one of your songs? Yeah, yeah, it gives you a bit of a kick, of course, you know, the flag and whatnot, you know. I, um, 49, you say? There are, yeah, there's, 40, there's like two CDs which gets up to about, uh, I can't remember, th- uh, 30 or so. Uh, yeah, 32. And, <laughs> and then if you get all the digital down- downloads, they just keep on coming. There's a lot of them. Well, it's a, that's a good feeling. If somebody wants to, you know, cover your stuff, you know, we'd never, you know, in the early days, there was no sign of that, you know. You know, all these years later, when people want to do it, that's a, that's a good feeling. And then, like specifically, when you hear people covering your stuff, does, I can I can imagine it just sounds I, either might just sound a bit weird because it's not the way that you would have done it, or, or like if if they don't do it exactly the way that you've got it in your head, do you, are you offended by that or inspired by that to hear somebody else doing it a different, different way? Well, I got to listen to the one of Cross Wire. very brave of them to do to do it in an altogether new way and yeah whether the uh the lyric goes with uh the music now i, I wouldn't i don't know i mean i re- initially wrote that song to irritate you know? <laughs> yes and this is a sort of lounge easy listening version isn't it yeah. no sign of irritation in this uh <laughs> in this version no i mean it's peppered with the devil's harmony in our version and if you've seen that um Thing that's got posted on the web about it being put to Tom and Jerry. Oh yes, I d- yes. That was that was quite good. Isn't that it? was brilliant and perfectly timed, wasn't it? It was like brilliantly synchronised. It really was. Yeah, I thought, Jesus Christ, this is spot on. Tom is irritating Jerry, and Jerry is irritating Tom. So uh, it was irritation all round. Yeah. So yeah. But uh, generally, I approve of people doing different versions. You know. Yeah, and that's the the crosswires by the pop up book. It's it's about as, as as different as you can get, isn't it? And sort of in that same mould of of um, uh, the the making plans for Nigel that Nouvelle Vague did, where where it suddenly becomes this this different uh, sort of thing. Yeah, and the flying lizards doing money, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's 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 all good because they make it their own. You know, I think the drumming on that, uh, um, what was it, uh, on the crosswires thing, was very good. And, it, it's, and it's also amusing as well, because you kind of think that song is not meant to sound like that. <laughs> no, no, that's right. They've had that foremost in their mind. <laughs> so that's one, that's one thumbs up from you. And then uh, My Bird Performs is, is uh, far more loyal and faithful than that, but, it's, but I think she also makes it her own, doesn't she? Yeah, it's kind of nice that a woman is singing it. Uh, a, have a female vocalist on the track is... is is a kind of a different thing. It's 
It's that kind of double entendre with my bird performs, you know, like performs, meaning sexually. There's always that nod, wink, wink, oh, yeah, my bird performs all right, you know, all this kind of thing. But uh, it's nice to have that kind of... Uh, that dissipates somewhat when there's a lady singing it. Depends which way you're flying, I suppose. <laughs> well, that's true I'm enough. getting into hot water here, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> I think with my bird is that, um, obviously, it's missing brass. I initially wrote it, I think, because... Um, there used to be a um, a TV program on the, telev- on the television. Uh, as a forerunner to Antiques Roadshow called Going for a Song. And the, on the credits, they had this caged mechanical bird in a cage, a gilded cage, and the, it, it spun round and sang a little tune. I think, ladies and gentlemen from the 1700s, Georgian gentlemen thought that they'd really made it if they owned this thing. It kind of uh, used to sing its tune, and it was like, you know, know, I've made it, you know, because I've got one of these, you know. We use brass on our kind of version, and that kind of had that... uh, that kind of pertained to that a lot more, golden-gilded kind of thing about it. And uh, But it's nice to hear... A lady singing it. That's that's very nice, and the harmonies are terrific. Yeah. Harmonies are fantastic, aren't they? Yeah, terrific. And uh, does um, does it make you think? Oh, it, does it make you want to rush back into the studio and think, oh, we could <laughs> we could attend it like this, or, or is it just a question of this thing exists in a in an, in another universe? Well, there's one bit of the song where they actually skip a beat. I, she does do that, yeah. Yeah, they, r- they rush in on the vocal, and it actually I think goes in for one bar, seven and eight, seven eight. I think. So um, I, I thought, prime me. Maybe we should have included that, you know, like that. Uh, I hadn't thought, but yeah. I'm glad you noticed that, because I, I noticed it and thought, did, did that just happen? <laughs> Maybe it was an accident and uh, the vocal line jumped in or whatever, but um, I thought, Jesus, is that, that, if that's an accident, that's a happy one. Maybe I could have explored that. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. The XTC Podcast. Thank you very much, Colin Moulding. Uh, it was great to hear from him. Uh, also, thank you to Keith Klingensmith of Future Man Records, who provided the music and did the associated interview, uh, which you can read on my blog, which is at XTC Bumper Book of Fun for Boys and Girls. Blogspot.com. Thanks, of course, to all the brilliant musicians who did such a formidable job on Garden of Earthly Delights, and you can find that uh, record at futuremanrecords.bandcamp.com. Thank you, too, to Mark Reed and David White for the quality chat. I really enjoyed it. You can hear David's music at soundcloud.com forward slash boy hyphen 48, boy 48. And uh, for all your XTC-related reading needs, check out my website at xtclimelight.com where you can order the XTC Bumper Book of Fun for Boys and Girls and What Do You Call That Noise? An XTC Discovery Book. See you next time. What do you call that noise? The XTC podcast. Podcast.